Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message, which is brought to you by Pastor Todd Roberts. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. Well, as most of you know, um, I grew up going to church. I grew up in a Christian home, and uh, my grandfather on my mother's side was a pastor. He pastored uh, from the time he was about 18 years old uh, throughout his entire life. My uh, grandmother on my dad's side worked as a secretary at a Baptist church for over 50 years, Uh, and there's some legendary stories about her. So church was just a part of our life as a family, as you can imagine, with that kind of family background. And most Sundays, you know, I, I went to church, and I have to say, most Sundays were pretty unremarkable. I don't remember much about most of the Sundays I was in church, and that's not to say they were a waste of time or that God wasn't doing things in me, but, but when I think back over my life and my time in church, the things that stand out to me, the moments that I remember almost entirely have to do with the moments where I feel like I really encountered God, where I really experienced God's presence in some way. For example, you know, one of the uh, encounters I, I remember really well, and this was over 20 years ago, occurred when I was... Uh, I was at a missions conference um, that our church was hosting, and, and I, I don't remember much about that conference except for one thing. On the Saturday morning session, um, the, 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 I don't remember what the speaker was speaking about, but at the end, there was an invitation to come down front and, uh, and respond in some way. And I just knew at the end of the message, God was doing something in my heart, and I had to go down front. I mean, I was compelled to get up, and I think the Spirit of God was just moving me and saying, hey, come down and bow down, like, like get on your face before me. And so that's what I did. I came to the front, I bowed down, and I got on my knees with a bunch of other people. And in that moment, I just began to sob. And, and I'm not a crier. I don't cry very easily. I don't cry very often. But I just began to sob almost uncontrollably. Has anybody ever had this experience when you've been praying? A few of you, yeah. And I don't know how to explain. Sometimes you don't even know what God's doing. But in this case, I did. I I had this, I feel like the the best way I can explain it is that I had this sense that that God was giving me a small taste of his sorrow and his anguish over the lostness of the world. I was being allowed to feel God's heart, his deep love for the world, and his deep pain over how uh, broken and lost this world is. And man, it was just overwhelming. But it wasn't a bad overwhelming. It was just, I, I, I think I, I saw something about God that I'd never seen before. And when I got up off the floor that day, and it went, by the way, it was like a mess. I mean, tears everywhere, snot everywhere. It was a, a full-on uh, <laughs> encounter with God, and I was a mess when I got up. But, but when I got up, I, I was never the same person after that. It changed the trajectory of my life. And, and after that, I I got involved with a, a, a school that was training uh, people to be sent out all over the world. That's where I met Lauren. And that's also, you know, that's put me on the trajectory to where I am today. Because at that point, I decided, I think I want to move overseas, live internationally, and, and serve God at, in missions. And that has brought me to where I am today, a city that at the time I had never heard of, had no concept that I would ever be here, no concept that I would be leading a church, but it all started that day on my face before God. You see, when you encounter God, it changes you. 
It's unforgettable. Now, the interesting thing to me in all my years of going to church is that the presence of God was not even a category for me. I mean, I, didn't, I did not go to church with the expectation of encountering Him or being with Him. I, in my mind, church was where we went to learn about God and to be with other believers. I didn't realize that we could meet with God in a tangible way. But during my time at uni, and I told that story the first week of this series, you know, I began to realize there was so much more available than what I had been experiencing most of my life. And it's, I would kind of say it this way. It's sort of like I'd been living my Christian life just eating bread and drinking water, and that's it. But, but as I began to discover God's presence more, I, I realized I've, I've been I'm living on far too limited a diet, that there's far more available for me. There's all kinds of other delicious food out there in the presence of God. Does that make sense? And once I realized this, I, I started coming to church with a different expectation, a different hunger, and uh, I, I began to you know, really come with this excitement about coming to church. It changed my experience of church and small groups and all the different things that we were involved in in church. Now, that's why we're doing this series on pursuing the presence of God, because I want us and I want you all to have that same category in your mind that going to church isn't just going somewhere to learn about God. Going to church is an opportunity to meet with God. And it's not to say we can't meet with them in other times and other places. I certainly have. But there's something about coming together with the people of God that allows us to meet with God in extraordinary ways. So this series is all about trying to whet your appetite, to kind of make you hungry and, and raise your expectation level when it comes to uh, uh, coming to church and for, and for meeting with God and pursuing His presence. But I think as we talk about pursuing His presence, that there's a question that I feel like we need to really carefully answer, and it's the question of why. Specifically, why do we pursue God's presence? Why is it important? Why, why does it matter? You know, why should we spend so much time pursuing a, a God that, you know, the presence of God when it can seem somewhat ethereal and somewhat unpredictable? It's important for us to answer this question because if we don't know why we need to pursue God's presence, then it's not something that we'll see as valuable or important enough to us to actually sacrifice the time and energy that's required to do so. You know, there's a, a cheesy saying, but it's true. If you don't know why, you won't try. Cheesy, but true. You know, we've got to know the why behind things. And so I think it's really important for us to answer this question, why do we pursue God's presence? And there's really two answers to this question. So I'm, I'm going to be, this, is, this week is going to be part one. Next week is going to be part two. And as we answer the first, my first answer to this question, I want to go back to that story that, that Margaret read for us because I think there's something in that story in Exodus that, that gives us a principle that helps us answer this question of why it's important for us, why it matters that we pursue the presence of God. Now, most of you are familiar with the story and you've read Exodus, but there's, I, I want to just give the context of it because because some of you may not know that story. Some of you watching online may be totally unfamiliar with that. So let me kind of set the stage and give you the context for the passage that we're going to read today. It's in the book of Exodus, we're told about the people of Israel who had uh, uh, 
been uh, growing as a nation in Egypt, but they had been enslaved by the Egyptians for over 400 years. And God came in and miraculously intervened, you know, sent the 10 plagues, you've probably heard about that, and, and he delivered the people of Israel from Egypt in an extraordinary and supernatural way. But the moment they left Egypt, the Pharaoh, who was the, the king, the, the ruler over Egypt, was like, ah, I shouldn't have let these people go. And he sends out his armies to pursue them, to bring them back, because he, he thinks, you know, a, a whole nation serving us and doing slave labor is a lot better than us doing that, so we're going to bring them back. So he sends out his army, and they, they trap Israel against the shores of the Red Sea. But then God intervenes again, and he parts the Red Sea, this extraordinary miracle and the people of Israel walk through on dry land. And when the Egyptians try to follow, the waters come back in and they all drown. And the people of Israel, though, they didn't go straight to the promised land, the land that you and I know today as Israel. And they, God had said, hey, I'm taking you to the promised land. But they didn't take the most direct route. They took this long, circuitous journey through the desert wilderness. And in that time, the people of Israel came to know God as different from the gods of Egypt. <clears throat> they came to see him as, they, they, they saw his power, they saw his supernatural uh, uh, hand in their lives and providing them food every day and water every day in the desert for a whole nation of people. They, they, they saw him as a God who would make a covenant with them as a nation and give them a, the basic guidelines for how they were going to uh, function as a nation. They got to know God. I've heard rabbis refer to this time as, uh, this, the, the, Israel's time in the wilderness, as their honeymoon with God as a nation. But unfortunately, right in the middle of their honeymoon, they cheated. In Exodus 32, we're told the story of how Israel forsook the God that they had come to know, that had delivered them from Egypt, and, and they forsook the covenant that they had made with him, not, not long after making it, and they turned to an idol that they made, and they began to worship it instead. And this can be really hard for us to fathom, because after all, you know, these, these people, they had seen the power of God in ways that no other nation had ever seen. I mean, for crying out loud, they were eating manna and quail that God was providing for them supernaturally every day, and yet they still they decided they still wanted a different God. Now, how is that possible? Why would they forsake God so quickly? Well, it seems that part of the reason, as, as you read through the story of Exodus, is, is that their connection with God primarily came through Moses. It was really Moses' God. It wasn't, he wasn't their God yet. They hadn't really realized how much he loved each one of them. And Moses sort of disappeared for a while. The, part of the reason that they turned away from it is because Moses was absent for a little bit. We're told in Exodus 24 that in the process of ratifying this covenant with God, that Moses was invited to come up Mount Sinai and to enter the glory of God, which was sort of hovering over the top of the mountain like a cloud. And, and when Moses went up there, it says he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, think about that for a moment. What would happen if Boris Johnson went up a mountain and was just out of action, nobody out of contact for 40 days and 40 nights. Can you imagine the headlines after one day? I mean, I mean, people would be freaking out, right? That's almost six weeks. 
But that's what happened here. And the people of Israel, they did freak out. They, they didn't know what had happened to him. And it seems that, that, that when, they, when they realized he's gone, they were like, well, what, what do we do? Now, Moses did leave his brother Aaron in charge, but Aaron didn't prove to be the same kind of strong leader that Moses was and that the people of Israel seemed to need. And, and rather than him leading the people of Israel, the people of Israel led him, and, and we, the results were disastrous. So in uh, Exodus 32, verse 1, it says this, When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So they're like, well, Moses must be gone. He must be dead. I mean, he's been up there for six weeks. Nobody's seen from him. Nobody's, nobody's seen him. Nobody's heard from him. I mean, we're on our own now. We've got to just figure out how to, what to do with ourselves now that we're here in the wilderness. So they, they approach Aaron, and, and they say, listen, make us some gods who can lead us. And they forced him to, they, they, to, to make these idols from the gold that they had plundered from Egypt. And then it says in verse 6, the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. And after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Now, we have little ears in here, so I can't really expand on what this is saying here. But let's just say the Bible is, is, is kind of glossing over the details and, and, and saying things nicely. But they, needless to say, they, they had turned away from God. And do you realize what a big deal this is? This is like having your spouse cheat on you during your honeymoon. I mean, can you imagine anything more offensive than that? So God sees this rebellion. He sees how they've turned away from him, and they've just they've started worshiping this idol. They've just gone back to the mindset that they had learned in Egypt, which is to just worship these idols made of gold and then think that those are their gods. And so he sends Moses back down to restore order. And after this rebellion had ended, God gives Moses these instructions from Exodus 33. He says this, Leave this place, you and your people, that you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. So God's telling them that their actions were so serious, that their ongoing stubbornness and rebellion ultimately would lead to their destruction if God stayed there, manifested in their midst. And now, I mean, I mean, that is, I mean, honestly, if you think about what they did, that's not too surprising. But at the same time, it might seem harsh, like, God, you're going to abandon your people that you've led out of Egypt, and now you're, gonna, you're just going to stand, stand back from them, otherwise you might destroy them. But you have to remember, Israel had experienced the presence and the power of God in a way that no other nation on earth had ever experienced it. And when you experience the presence of God like that, there's, there's a different standard. There's a, different, there, there's, there's a higher calling on your life. There's, there, there's no excuse for turning away from God like that. See, we're ex responsible 
for our experiences with God. If we encounter God's presence in a life-changing way, we can't go back to the way we lived before. There's, there's a responsibility that comes with that that we have to take seriously. So, so we don't want to like go into God's presence with a careless attitude because when we encounter God, we need to come out the same and we need to be willing to leave behind some things that maybe we were carrying with us before. So as a result of Israel's spiritual adultery, God's saying, listen, I'm not going to go with you anymore. And I think what he means by that is you're not going to see this cloud by day and this pillar of fire by night. You see, God had been leading them in, in, in a physically tangible way. Like there's this cloud apparently that went before the nation as they moved through the wilderness. And at night there would be this pillar of fire that would illuminate the camp. And, and the people saw that the presence of God was, that, that was tangibly with them. And I think God is saying, look, you're not going to see that anymore. And, and I'll, I'll send my angel with you. In other words, I'll be with you, but you're not going to see me anymore. But Moses hears this, and he's just brokenhearted. And skipping down to verse 15, he says this, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses recognized how crucial the presence of God was for them. I mean, he, he, the presence of God was so important, he recognized that he would rather stay in the wilderness rather than then go on without the presence of God in their midst. Moses recognized that the presence of God was what set them apart from every other nation on the earth. And he was right. Like, what other nation had experienced God's presence like they had? So, so Moses is saying, absolutely not. We can't do this. And this is really a prayer of intercession right here. Moses is saying, God, we can't go on. You have got to come with us. You, you've got to stay with us, Lord, because we can't we can't go on without you. And it's interesting. Look at God's response. He says, I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. It seems like what happened here is Moses, because of his favor with God and the depth of his relationship with God, that he was able to talk to God in a way that, that caused God to withhold the natural consequences of Israel's spiritual adultery. And that's the power of intercession, by the way. You know, there's something about the way that God partners with his people in intercession that allows the outcome of natural events to be changed. And that's why what we see here, you know, one person interceding on behalf of his nation actually changed the course and the destiny of that nation. So I should encourage you today. Whenever you've got something that's burdening you in prayer, it matters that you bring it before the Lord. And there's something unique about the way that, that God partners with us in prayer. He wants us to bring things to him. And you never know what the outcome, how the outcomes can change if you're willing to pray. But I want to focus here on Moses' statement in verse 16. Let's look at it in the New Living Translation. It says this, For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. 
I think that's the answer to our question today. Why do we pursue the presence of God? Well, it's because the presence of God is what sets us apart. It's what set the nation of Israel apart, and it's meant to be what sets the church apart from every other religion, every other organization, every other worldview, every other way of operation that that we can find. The presence of God is what distinguishes us and sets us apart as a people. It's what takes the basic structures that we do as a church and it breathes life into it. It's the presence of God that takes, you know, the, the, the act of coming to church or going to life group or, or, you know, being involved in discipleship, all the things that we normally do as a church, and it brings life into it rather than, rather than just being a, a, a rule or a ritual that we observe. That's why we need the presence of God in our midst. The presence of God is everything. It's what differentiates us from every other faith. I mean, no other other religious system in the world can experience what we experience because we have the living God in our midst. It validates our faith in a way that no one else can truly experience. And I think so many times what happens is people go to church and they experience a, a dull, lifeless, boring service. And, and I think subconsciously, w- what happens is people pick up on the fact that, that God's not here. They're just like, there's nothing to this. This is just rules, and this is just empty rituals, and who's got time for that? And that's what happens when, when God's presence isn't in the midst of his people. But what should happen is when people come to church, when people come to this church or, or, or any church, I'm talking not just about our church, but across the world, the big C church, they should be able to say, God is in this place. Paul talks about this in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 14. He says this, he says, but if all of you, he's talking about a church gathering, he says, but if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, They will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring, God is truly here among you. Paul is saying that when people come to church, they shouldn't be bored by rules and empty rituals. They should be pierced to the heart by the presence and the power of God. I mean, they should know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God is truly here in this place. That's how church should be. That's how I want this church to be, and that's why we're talking about this so much. You know, when, I, I just want this to be a place where, where when people come here, there's something about their experience that says, that makes them conclude that God is here. And, and I'm not trying to say that this hasn't been the case. This, I've heard a number of stories over the years of people encountering God in different ways in our church services and in our life groups and so on. Maybe, it's the, maybe they just began to cry in worship, or, or maybe they, they, the message just spoke to them in a powerful way that they couldn't explain. It felt like, like, like I was, or whoever was preaching was speaking right to them. Of course, we weren't. That's God just speaking to their hearts. Or maybe they saw the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation, or there was some other manifestation that they, they, in which they encountered God. You know, maybe they just felt the weight of God's presence in some way that they couldn't explain. But somehow, people over the years, they've come to the conclusion that God is here. 
that he's been in our midst. But what I want, the reason we're talking about this this morning is because I believe there's so much more available for us. There's so much more that God is wanting to do. And I think there's times when we just need to realign ourselves with, with this truth that we see from this passage that, that what sets us apart is not great preaching or great production or great worship or a, a, a really well-organized uh, uh, church or a nice building or anything like that. What sets us apart is the presence of God. And sometimes we just have to come back to that and be reminded that this is what matters. This is what's the most important thing. And if we don't have the presence of God, we do not want to go on. And this, by the way, is one of the reasons I think it's important for us to gather together physically. You know, I think there's something unique about corporate gatherings in which God meets us in a way that he doesn't meet you in other places. <laughs> and to be honest, this is one of my hesitations about putting our services online. It's that I think it's, it's good, and, and we're going to continue to keep our services online, but, but there's something about being physically present with the people of God which allows you to encounter God in powerful ways. Now, of course, God can meet with us wherever we're at, and I've heard lots of stories of people meeting with God online and in different ways. But in general, I'd say you're far more likely to meet with God when, you, when you're physically present in the room with the people of God together. So if you are at all able to come to church, and well done for all of those of you who are here, I'm glad you're here. But if you're at all able to come, then I think you should. I think it's worth coming to, to actually be physically present in church because God will meet with you there. So if you're able, I realize some of you aren't able because of health reasons or whatever, but, and we'll just trust God to meet with you where you're at. But I want to say it is important to gather together physically. So practically, you know, as a church, we are looking for more. We want to prioritize God's presence in new ways in, the, in this church. So we're restructuring our services in some ways to make more space for you to directly meet with God, to encounter him. We're, we're changing some of the ways that we do worship, some of the ways that we do our ministry time at the end of sermons. We're just making space. That's why we're doing these Salem nights once a month where we just simply make space to meet with God. That's what it's all about. We want to prioritize the presence of God in a new way in the days ahead. But there's something else about this passage from, uh, that, that I want you to, uh, to notice before we move on, and it's this. Let's look at it again. Do we have it? There it is. For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. Moses, see, there's an individual component to this. Moses isn't just saying, hey, your presence sets your people apart. He's saying it sets me apart from all other people on the earth. You know, as followers of Jesus, we carry God's spirit within us. We're the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, as, as Paul said. And the more you walk in union with God and the more you learn to, to steward and pursue the presence of God in your life, the more it becomes tangible to people around you. And there's this really interesting illustration of this in what happens as you keep reading about what happened with Moses in the book of Exodus. In Exodus 34, we read this. It says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face... They were afraid to come near him. Fascinating. 
Moses goes up onto Sinai. He, he's encountering God. He's speaking with him. And when he comes back down, his face is glowing. But he doesn't have a mirror, so he has no idea that's happening. But the people see him, and they're freaked out. They're like, whoa, whoa, Moses, what is going on? We've never seen somebody glow like this before. His face was, this was more than just a really bad sunburn. <laughs> his face was, had a supernatural glow about it, so much so that, that it goes on to tell us that whenever he would encounter, talk to the people, he would put a veil over his face so they wouldn't be distracted by the radiance that was coming from him. Now, this is an extreme example, but I think it's a prophetic picture of what happens when we spend time in God's presence. I think of it almost like spiritual sunbathing, you know? Uh, when, when we've been in the sun, usually people know about it. Some of you get tan when we're in the sun. Uh, a lot of us get bright red when we've been in the sun. And, and it's obvious that we've been spending time outdoors because of that. Well, when we spend time with God, when we actually open up the Bible, and when we, when we spend time worshiping, when we spend time with God, whether it's corporately in a situation like this or on our own, Something begins to change in us. It leaves a mark in us. There's a radiance that, that is imparted to us that we carry around with us. And Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. He, he uh, explains, reflecting on this whole thing with Moses and the veil, and he says this, And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What he's talking about there is as we spend time with God, as we get to know him more, God is doing things in us. And just as Moses' face was, was radiating the, the light of God, so when we spend time with him, God begins to do things in us and we become more peaceful, more loving, more gentle, whatever it is. We're, we may not even realize it at the time. We may not think anything significant is going on. Like Moses, he didn't realize his face was glowing, but the people around him did. And I think the same thing can happen with us when we spend time in God's presence. When we encounter him, people around us are going to notice, wow, you, you seem just a lot more peaceful than you used to. You seem a lot more hopeful than you used to. You seem different somehow. What is it about you that seems different? This whole experience that Moses had, I think it's a picture of what happens when we spend time in God's presence. And so this is one of the reasons that we encourage you to spend time with God on a daily basis, to, to actually uh, have a devotional life, you know, spend time reading the Bible, spend time worshiping, spend time praying, simply being still in his presence. We've talked about those things before. Even if it's just 15 minutes a day, it's like we're just, when, when we just bask in the presence of God, things begin to shift inside of us. And, and if you, you want to start somewhere in pursuing God's presence, this is where I encourage you to start, even if it's just 15 minutes a day. You know, sometimes I have busy mornings. Anybody else here have crazy busy mornings that you can't? Yeah, yeah. All of us do, right? Even 15 minutes makes a difference. We just say, God, listen, this is all I've got right now, but I'm coming before you because I need to be in your presence. I, and and I, I'm turning to you right now. And I'm making space for you in my life. It's that simple. All of us can do that. So why do we pursue God's presence? Just to wrap up here. Because it sets us apart. It distinguishes us from everything and everyone else. 
It is the difference between man-made religion and a life-giving, life-transforming life of faith. So what do you say, church? Do you want more of God's presence in our midst? Yeah? Well, here's what I want to do to close today. I, I, I want to take some time for us to just pray together. And the worship team is going to come up here and we'll close in worship. But first, I want, to, I, I want to take some time for us to just simply pray. For all of us, kind of in one heart to just say, God, we need you. We need more of you. That, that we don't want to carry on apart from your presence. Because there's a danger. You know, any church can get distracted. We can get caught up in, in details and minutia. We can, we can lose our focus on the presence of God. And I don't want to do that. And there needs to be periodic times of realigning ourselves to what matters most. And that's what we're doing here this morning. So, so I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And if you want to, I, I want to encourage you to posture yourself in a position of prayer, whether it's just staying there in your seat or getting on your knees or standing and lifting up your hands, whatever you want to do, I want us to cry out to God together. So whatever you want to do, if you want to bow your heads, if you want to get on your knees, whatever sounds best to you, but I'm just going to pray, and if you'll just agree with me while I do that. Father, I thank you for the truth that we looked at a few weeks ago, that we can boldly come into your presence because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sin and unrighteousness. So we don't have to fear your presence. And Lord, we simply say we don't want to proceed without your presence in our midst. And God, I just want to repent for any way that I have not prioritized your presence in this church. And Lord, we say we don't want to move on without you. So Lord, we, in a fresh way, invite your presence to fill this church, to be the center of all that we do. Lord, we, we simply want to be with you. So come, Lord. Whether it's this service or our life groups or the different things that we're doing as a church, Lord, we ask that your presence would be in the center of it all. And Lord, I pray that, that as we turn to you, God, in a new way that, that as you once did with Moses, that you cause your goodness to pass before him. Lord, I pray that we would encounter your goodness because your presence is good. Lord, make us aware of your presence. There's so many ways that I believe you are already manifesting your presence in our midst, and we, we're looking for the big, we're looking for the, the dramatic, but actually it's the, the still small voice and the gentle nudges of your spirit that we feel most often. So God, make us aware of those things, and let our desire to 
walk in your presence grow in the weeks and the months to come. God, let our hunger for your presence increase. Let our desire for you um, uh, uh, cause us to set aside the things that hinder and distract us, the things that are, are causing us to, to um, waste our time on, on things that really aren't going to satisfy our soul. And we say only you can truly satisfy just as you led the people of Israel with the cloud by day and the fire by night, Lord, we ask that you would lead us as a church into all that you have for us, into what you've called us to be as a church. Lord, lead us on a journey of learning how to, how to, how to enjoy your presence, how to pursue your presence, how to live in your presence on a daily basis. And God, may we be a people who are marked by your presence. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. That's significant church. God hears those prayers. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.